wait, and wait, and baby, I'm TFC till I die. Hello, and welcome back to Toronto Till I Die, the T Toronto FC fan show. I'm Mike Newell, and well, that's was better than anticipated, I think, for a lot of Red fans. Uh, your TFC started the 2024 season with a solid performance against last season's Supporter Shield winners, FC Cincinnati. This week, we are talking Toronto FC's opening week, nil-nil draw against uh, Cincinnati. Focusing in on the much-improved play of the team, you know, we're going to look at one good, one bad, and one point to improve on uh, from the game. We'll name our TTID Man of the Match Day. So that's a little new uh, thing we're going to be dropping this season. And, of course, we'll talk about a lot of the new faces that have entered the dressing room. A lot to get into this week uh, with my co-hosts, Michael Singh, and special guest, writer at torontofc.ca, the TFC2 king himself, Mr. James Grossi. James, how you doing, buddy? I'm doing well. I'm doing well, and I'm excited to to chat with you boys today. I think uh, you know none of us had any idea what what to expect going into this season. Preseason was a a little bit of a mystery, and and so I'm just uh, I'm pleased that you know we have some stuff to talk about today after a, a pretty encouraging point on the road away to Cincinnati. Yeah, what a treat! What a treat to be joined by. Uh... James Grassi, and of course, on the heels of that Toronto FC performance, we've been saying it for, I feel like, six months now, where we come on the show, and we're so bitter, we're so down, we're so pessimistic about this club, and we're like, please, please finally give us something to just come out and just be positive about, and man, did they ever, did they ever come out and give us something to be positive about, so that's what this theme is, today's episode. Not only because they played well, but we also got James Grassi joining us for the entire episode. So it's going to be all, all positive vibes here on today's one. Yeah, it's positive vibes show. James, you you brought the light uh, to the to the darkness, which is funny because I feel like going coming off preseason, I think a lot of the anxiety from the fan base was around. We didn't get to watch this team in preseason. We didn't get a lot coming out from the club bits and pieces it was kind of drips and drabs and that was very much on purpose um from from that perspective but um before we get into the game james i'd just love to get your perspective on the, on the preseason like how that was for you as somebody who's you know kind of writing about this and trying to to disseminate this information to the public yeah it, it, it was challenging i'm not gonna lie like uh we had our usual sort of always on on that first day uh you know, we all go up to the training ground and you have your couple of conversations with people. It was pretty small this year. I think it was just John and also maybe one or two other players that's given my mind right now. And then, you know, the, when the team's on the road, it's always difficult to stay in touch with them. You don't really get to see things. You have your little check-ins and, and the the reality was there wasn't a lot of information that could be shared via that medium. I think that was one of the difficulties was that you know, if you're not talking about new signings and they saved all those for the last day before the game, which was would have been nice to spread those out a little bit over the two months. But uh, when when it came to getting real information, it, it was hard. And, and I think part of that was a was a desire to to keep things in house and really focus on what they needed to work on. 
Uh, but I think part of it as well was just there wasn't – I don't feel like the club was in a position where where the answers that they were looking for required a lot of talking. You know, like one of the one of the quotes that emerged was something that John said pre-match about – he was asked about the MLS soccer rankings and, and how the team sort of felt about where uh, where everybody had them pegged to finish this year. And and John relayed something that Sean Johnson had said. is It's like, we don't need to worry about proving anybody wrong right now. We just need to worry about proving us right. And so I feel like the club was in a place where they could have come out and been all positive and said all the right things and had everybody going like, oh, yeah, that's great. That's what you want to hear. But none of it would have mattered if they didn't follow that up with with something to show people. And so I, I think they took that approach a little bit this season. I don't know that it was, you know, purposefully hiding from anything or, or anything like that. I think it was more of a matter of, of the work that we need to do right now involves getting on the pitch, coming together as a unit and, you know, there's no better enemy to bring a team together than than the, the outside, the collective outside, whether that's the fans, whether that's the media, whether that's other people in the league. Uh, you sort of need those those pressure points. And so I'm sure all those things sort of work together. But, uh, yeah, trying to write a match report about a game that you didn't watch or you weren't allowed to know who was playing in the game or what the final score was, was, uh, was definitely a, a tricky one for sure. Was that the most times you had to type trialist in a match report in the, ever? <laughs> I, I think I've had a couple where uh, where um, there were there were more than two trialists at any one time. But you know, I tried my best to get that information out there. I even offered to buy a shirt with trialist across the back, but nobody would budge. Um, <laughs> I was saying, dude, if, he, if if Nixon scored, I would have done it. I might still do it, man. We'll see. We'll see. <laughs> it uh, it that's very interesting though that you do bring up kind of that point from that perspective because you know we've been you know a little bit harsh, I guess we could say, when it comes to our assessment of the club's um, handling, as we can call it, of being you know transparent with its fans. Um, they have taken on this bit of a mantra that they're kind of putting out there. It's you know we owe the fans. Um, so actually, before we start and get into the match. Got to shout out sort of the traveling support that we saw for Toronto yeah. FC heading over to Cincinnati. Mike, you've you've been a part of some of those you know groups who have traveled over for away matches. So to see you know a decent amount of, of fans show up to Cincinnati, commend you, and you know thank you quite honestly for you know putting on for this club. Yeah, for sure. Um, Block one fourteen. A lot of those guys went um, bus down like overnight. Like it was a basically a midnight saturday bus um heading to cincinnati driving all day getting into the game and getting right back on the bus and heading home so uh absolute road warriors uh for those uh that attended the game in cincinnati um speaking of let's jump right into the game itself a nil nil draw on opening weekend or mls is back whatever they're branding it um of the opening week the first question i have for you guys um, before we get just an initial impressions, like just the, the 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 lineup. I think everybody was really intrigued by what exactly John Herman was going to put out. I think we all kind of had the idea that there would be three at the back, but what exactly would that look like? Who was going to be in, and how this was going to all sort of fit together? In the end, he starts out at least with a three four two one, uh, with really you know O'Neill, Long, and Petretta at the back, and then. New boy, new-ish, I guess. I mean, if you're if you've come to the third time to a club, are you really new? Um, but Richie Larea and Federico Bernardeschi kind of starting out at those 
wing back slash you want to call them wide midfield positions um just your your initial thoughts james just on the lineup when you saw it and and sort of what you thought yeah i i you know all preseason we'd heard that the back three was going to be a thing a thing so i was trying to figure out exactly who of that list of 11 players was going to be that back three you know um we had heard some rumblings of Fede playing at wing back in preseason, and the thing—the thing with anything you get out of preseason—is like how much of it is, oh, we're trying it out in this game because somebody picked up a knock, versus it's something that we really want to try to do when the actual season comes around. So, you know, I heard that that had gone on, and I sort of, I sort of dismissed it as like, oh, we'll, we'll see, we'll we'll wait until things come, and yeah, I mean, defensively, I think it's a little bit of a risk having having Fede there if if Shane O'Neill hadn't had the game that he had or Cincinnati had had a little bit more position and found a little bit more joy up those flanks I could see that being a little bit of a liability but it gives you it gives you some flexibility and it gives you a lot of a lot of options in the attack and I, I think we saw a little bit of that with with Cincinnati being a little bit overwhelmed on both sides maybe more so the left than the right in terms of tracking everybody that was coming down so yeah, I, I expected that John would have something up his sleeve when it came to Cincinnati, where we haven't asked him the question yet, whether he wants to be a team that, you know, has a definite way about, of going about things versus being one of those teams that sort of tinkers or shades things a little bit based on who the opponent is week to week. So I don't know how permanent of a thing this Fede, this Fede had wingback situation was versus being a, a way to really disrupt Cincinnati they're a team that really uses those flanks really well and and I I thought we didn't really see that too much in this game yeah and I think just building off that the buy-in from Bernadeschi to actually you know pick up and slot into that wing back position go you know both ways up and down the pitch um that's something I had question marks about seeing him start at wing back but you know from you know the first minute he was bought into that role and you're right. There are times I was, you know, a little bit nervous when he was isolated on the wing, defending on his own, the gap that he was giving his defender. You can tell it's, it's you know, while he has actually played that role at times in the past uh, at much higher level, um, there's still something to be desired, let's say defensively. But you're right. It gives you some fluidity offensively. Uh, I want to, you know, shout out Raul Petretta at that left center back position. I thought he gives TFC an element uh, which they don't necessarily have with that the rest of their back two uh, in in long and o'neill uh Raul Petretta gives us someone who is comfortable in possession comfortable on the ball and has the pace and the aggressiveness and the strength to kind of get away with him as more of a center back um in a back three at least so we've seen it in the past with you know canada we've talked about this with kamal miller and alistair johnson people who were natural fullbacks who got converted into you know outside center backs and i think rob Petretta is another guy who um who can you know fill that void and really occupy that role for toronto fc especially when you look at some of the relationships that he's already started to form down that left hand side Obviously a new one now with Richie Loria, but you slot Richie into that role as well, and it gives you some you know, additional cover at that position. And we saw a couple of times, especially in that first half, where Richie Loria had to you know, track back, make some you know, last-ditch tackles, but still, that's what, that's what Richie can offer. So you, know, you look at that left side, and I see Petretta, and I see Loria, and I see Lorenzo Insigne, and quite frankly, that, that's a left side I'll take against really any other left side in Major League Soccer. So I love that part of it. I think there, there's something to build off there. 
Yeah, the the Fede at the wing back midfield. I know his average. I know somebody mentioned in the comments that his average position was a little bit higher. Of course, that's where you ideally want him. Um, but I, I don't think that is. I hope I don't think it's a long term solution uh, for that role. As much as he is bought in, I, I I'm not sure that's exactly where you want to do. Or you're leaving Shane O'Neill with a lot of work to do at times. Um, and, and as much as Shane looked really good in the game, um, I don't think that's necessarily the necessarily the workload um, the one necessarily put on him uh, to sort of cover in, in in a lot of situations. But for this game, you're right, James. I think it, it worked really well, especially in the first 30 minutes where you know TFC for, for the most part was pretty much all over um, Cincinnati in terms of winning the ball back, um, in terms of creating some opportunities. I think the one thing we're going to notice about this team um, is that, uh, and it's no surprise, the route to goal is not quite there yet. The sort of the final actions aren't quite there yet, and it, it kind of showed they had opportunities. And though realistically, they probably should have scored within the first fifteen minutes, um, but still not not able to find a route to goal yet. <laughs> Daniel just saying here in the chat, uh, wrong one. Uh, Shane overlapped Fede at one point. I uh, I fell off. Oh, the I mean, <laughs> Shane Maldini O'Neill was out in full force in the first thirty minutes. I could not believe what I was watching. Let's um, talk about Shane a little bit. Yeah. Um James, what were what were your thoughts on Shane O'Neill's performance overall? Yeah, I, th- I think you know we'd heard a lot in the preseason about how Shane was one of the guys who was part of that leadership group, and. When he came from Seattle, I was pretty high on that as being a, a really solid under the radar sort of pick in terms of he's not going to be the best defender out there, but if he's top two, top three in your squad um, and he's playing the way that he did when he was with Seattle, he can be a really serviceable piece. And, you know, we didn't see a lot of that last year. I think, you know, everybody's performances took a pretty significant hit last year, whether it's 50% whether it's 60%, whatever, however you want to quantify that. Um, so for, for John to put the faith in a guy that that he was going to be a part of that leadership group, and, and with that comes the demand of, of, do you want to be the one guy in the leadership group who's not a starter every week? Like, like how, how much responsibility, how do you respond to the coach putting that kind of responsibility into you? And so... We heard a lot of talk about Shane being a, a changed man this year, and I think we really saw that in this game. He was, he was everywhere. The overlap was unexpected, but it was good to see. But I, I think that when um, when you get a player who's bought in, and a guy who's who's at that age where you see it in a lot of players, you see that sort of evolution where like when they're young, early twenties, they're sort of riding off their athleticism. You know, and then there comes that point where you're not as fast, you're not as strong as you used to be, and you have to learn that next stage of that that part of your career that's going to see you through for for those later stages. And you know, I think from from Shane's time with in Colorado to what we saw in Seattle to to what we saw glimpses of in this game, I, I think Toronto have got themselves a really serviceable center back, and so. You know, we had a lot of questions about the back line going into this year. And so knowing that a guy who was already here could be that much more of a player than than you thought maybe he could be is just, uh, it, it's almost like getting a, a new guy in, in a way, for this side. Yeah, yeah, no, definitely. Uh, I thought he was he was a really good, uh, 
really good player over the weekend. He shut down kind of the wing when necessary. Um, probably got away with maybe uh, uh, an earlier booking than, than he actually picked up. Um, there were definitely some, some instances where, you know, he was kind of exposed there out on the right wing when he got pulled all the way across. Um, but, you know, when Shane O'Neill is at his best, he he's defending and he's engaged and he's kind of staying at home, which when you play him next to, you know, Bernadeschi on that right-hand side, he does a lot of that. You know, he's asked to do a lot of the defending. You know, how much will he be able to push forward and actually offer, you know, Bernadeschi support there? Uh, you know, obviously not too much, but, you know, we, we did see some instances of him being able to kind of pick, get his head up, pick a pass, break a couple lines with a couple passes, which I think Shane O'Neill is capable of doing. Um, kind of maybe damper the mood a little bit. I don't think this is a long-term solution at that position. I think he's not quite good enough in possession uh, owed on that wing. So when he gets the ball, you could kind of see Cincinnati starting to pick up on it, started to pick up on it as the game wore on. He was a guy that you could, you know, kind of put pressure on. He would be prone to to giving up possession. So that is Shane O'Neill, though. That That's what you get. You get someone who's solid defensively, but at the same time, maybe – you know, doesn't have quite the the feet of a, a natural fullback, and he's being asked to play a lot in, in some wide areas. So it'll be interesting to see kind of how that partnership between him and Bernadeschi actually unfolds, or whether TFC decide to go out and you know acquire maybe a, a player that's better suited for that specific need. But take nothing away from his performance; he did exactly what TFC needed from him. I do just question if TFC want to be a team that plays in possession, plays with the ball, and um, you know, offer something more on both sides of the pitch. I do wonder if if they need something more out of that position. Yeah, and, and sort of just to wrap up on the Shane O'Neill point, like I think he, when he was first signed, I liked the signing because of what I saw him do at Seattle. And I think if he can be that solid piece that maybe doesn't start every single game, uh, you know, he was kind of pressed in his first season to start just simply because you know, nothing was working at the back. Um, and there were so many injuries that he ended up playing and starting so many games um, in 2022. But, um, you know, if you can get a solid guy who can come in and play, you know, a little more than a quarter or two, maybe half uh, of the games, whether as a starter or as a sub, you know, I think you have a solid player that gives you some really good depth at center back. And then that starts to become less of a concern, especially if you can get um, a center back that is really good with their feet and kind of, kind of play out in those wide positions as a third center back. Um, I wanted to bring up um, the guy that is in the chat like crazy. Everybody was saying his name um, at the start of the show, Davey Flores, his debut um, on Sunday. A lot of people had him as man of the match. I'd love to get your guys' thoughts on sort of his first outing with TFC. Um, definitely a different piece to the midfield. I don't think TFC have seen a midfielder like that in a while. Um, it patrols sort of that position. James, please start. Um, yeah, I mean, um, what's there? What's there? What else is there to say about a guy who sort of comes to the club? Not, not like the most famous signing for a, for a team that likes their bloody big deals and all that sort of thing, but. The guy comes in and, and he's just sort of no nonsense, all action. We we met him. He was the other one that we spoke to on that early January day. It just popped in my mind. Um, and he was exactly as advertised. I think that's the only way to put it. Both 
both of the big acquisitions in, in Debbie and, and Kevin Long have been exactly what the team said they were going to be. And it's been a while since we've seen that sort of destroyer in the middle of the park. He's, he's definitely got a presence out there. It was, uh, we were in the bubble on Friday before the team went down to Cincinnati and everyone was sort of walking by while we were hanging out in the corner. And I was staring off looking at somebody else doing something and I just felt this looming presence coming towards me. And Davey had his hand out for me to shake it just to sort of say hello as he was walking by. So he's a man that when he's there, you know he's there. And uh, I think we saw that in the game. Uh, the One of the quotes that stuck out to me after the match was that it was something that Oso said about not only not only the bite that he gets in midfield and about how he's a guy that when you when you have a teammate that is playing like that, it encourages you to play more like that and encourages you to be more physical. But just the confidence that the team can have when they know that if you lose possession and the ball's going the other way and the team is going through your midfield, they're going to have to get by that guy. And so the the confidence that that gives you as a group to to take chances and to move forward and to, to get into those advanced positions knowing that, you know, he's got your back is uh, is something that'll be good to see. I think, you know, one performance is one performance. You got a lot more games to go, but on on those 90 minutes, it's uh, it's definitely he's going to be a very important piece for this team. And, you know, if he plays every game like that, he's going to be a fan favorite pretty quickly. Yeah, that's it. He was, for me, he was by far the best player on the pitch. Uh, I thought, you know, yeah, sure, there was the, the tackles and the ground that he covered and, you know, the ability to just sniff out a lot of T or Cincinnati's counterattacks. He did such an excellent job doing that, you know, five tackles, three interceptions, just off the top of my head in terms of, you know, numbers there for Davey. But it was so much more about that. It was it was the pressures, it was his ability to, as you know, James touched on, to get Alonzo Coelho buying into that, Jonathan Osorio buying into that, um, get the, the team behind him buying into that. You know, he's he's the guy who kind of sets that tone in the middle of the park, and he did such an excellent job doing so. The thing, one thing that actually stood out to me um, was his passing ability and his ability on the ball. Like his, he was killing some bouncing balls and playing it first time to his teammates, just completely settled flat on the ground. And I think that's such an overlooked trait and at major league soccer's level, at least because there are times where you have players on the pitch who, you know, their first touch isn't European-esque so they can, you know, a pass that's settled versus a pass that's, you know, bobbled or, you know, in the air that can make the difference between someone, you know, finding a gap and that gap closing by the time they control it. So his ability to, you know, play those passes first time, I thought really stood out. Uh, he completed 92% of his passes. So, you know, 58 completed, which was by far the most on Toronto FC. You know, you compare that to someone like Jonathan Osorio, who I thought also had a, a pretty solid game, but Osorio completed, you know, 33 passes. So, the play was very much flowing through the combination of Davy Flores and Alonzo Coelho. So that's what it kind of, you know, surprised me. We we knew about his ability to win the ball back kind of coming into the, you know, this, this year with Toronto FC, but you know, what really impressed me was his also his ability also on the ball and to, to dictate play, you know, a couple of times he might've got caught in possession and some pretty poor areas, but overall, I mean, his passing, like I said, 92%, six for six long balls. His 80 touches was more than uh, Lucho Acosta. 
on Cincinnati, yeah, so which kind of speaks volumes to yeah. not only the role that he played on the ball, but also his role kind of shutting down Lucho Acosta. So such an important player. Uh, you're right. You know, Mike, a player we haven't seen for Toronto seen a long, long time, that type of profile. We kind of saw a little bit of a comparison and, you know, Franco Ibarra last year, similar types of players, but you know, the difference is it's, it's all, you know, it's all up here. It's all mentality. Uh, you know, Franco Ibarra, we kind of know this. He, wasn't really interested in being in Toronto. Davey Flores is a guy that comes in as, you know, James kind of touched on already, sets that tone, sets that culture in that middle of the park and is completely bought in. So if as long as he can keep up his, you know, ability on the ball, which we'll see, you're right, it's just one game. I think TFC have a, a real gem in Davey Flores. Yeah, and that's, um, it's an interesting one because because you don't really have someone else behind him that kind of does that. So you really want to be able to keep him on the pitch as much as possible. Um, he was going in with some tackles at times and I'm like, woof, you know, other times of the season that could be, you know, the, you go up and wrong and you time it wrong. And that, that, that's a yellow bordering on an orange or a red. So like, you know, from that perspective, you know, that's a little, you kind of have a little moment, but at the same time, I think you would rather have that right now. Because if you have that in your midfield, then teams need to consider that when when trying to play against you and strategize against you. Um, and like I said before, like just TFC just haven't had a guy who was going to compete like that, and in a, quite a long time. Um, even you know, all due respect to Michael Bradley, um, you know he wasn't quite that guy the last couple of seasons, right? Definitely so not. yeah, so I I think that um, you know that's a big a big boost to TFC. Um, another big boost, and we'll talk about him more a little bit more in depth when we start talking about some of the new faces in the, in the locker room, but it, it would be remiss if we didn't talk about Richie Larea in his third stint with Toronto FC. What does Richie do? Kickoff, game gets started, within the only nearly two minutes, almost wins a penalty. We haven't won a penalty in 36 matches. This guy almost wins a penalty within the first two minutes. Now, it was a foul outside the box, clearly, but just speak a little bit. I mean, we don't have to wax poetic. I think we wax poetic about Richie on this podcast a lot. But it, it speaks a lot to the fact that he came right in right away and was an immediate impact and took no time um, in getting there. James, just your thoughts on uh, Richie's uh, third intro to TFC. Third debut? I don't even know what you call that. Um, <laughs> yeah, you know, John was a little bit coy when we spoke to him on Friday about you know, whether Richie would be ready, whether he'd be in the starting 11, whether he'd be on the bench. They'd been uh, in contact with him for the last two months, tracking his loading and everything like that. So they knew where he was. And I mean, he's Richie. You know, what else What else can you say? There's There are few players that I've been able to watch on a regular basis in, in MLS that sort of just impose themselves on a game the way that Richie does, especially from that fullback position. Like he, it took him, it took him 75 seconds to get into the opponent's box and really ask a question. And that was, that was what you get with Richie. And I think it was a, it was a position that Toronto needed in, in one sense, but also having somebody come in who they know and they trust and who they know what he can, what he can provide them for a team that's, that's in a way still figuring themselves out, even though they're a team that has some time together under their belts to, to be comfortable with a guy that's coming in and to, to not have to go through that, those chemistry questions and that getting to know you period. And so, 
Yeah, I mean, when the news dropped on Friday morning, I was getting myself ready to go up to the training ground, and I was just like, oh, this is why they haven't been telling us anything. They were busy cooking up some wild stuff in that laboratory of ours, and they didn't want to, they didn't want that news to get out. But yeah, I think, you know, I listened to all the season previews that everyone did, but the second that Richie transfer gets announced, everybody's season preview goes out the window for this TFC team because he's a guy that not only will do what he does, but he's a guy that will lift everybody around him. And it was something that Oso said after the game too, was that, you know, Richie, Richie's going to do what Richie does off the pitch. But, but now that his future is, is in Toronto for the near future or for the foreseeable future, uh, he's a guy that, that can take on that burden of being a leader both on and off the field. And I'm curious to see that it's been quite a ride following Richie from, from that kid who was in the bubble that we were squinting at about a hundred meters away going, is that Richie the rant? What's Richie doing here this preseason? He's trying out as a fullback. What's going on here? So to see him do that, to being a, a star for TFC, a star for the national team, see him doing commercials on TV and now coming back to, to be a leader at a club that's, you know, in desperate need of trying to find their way back to the pinnacle of, of the, the game here in MLS where they were not so long ago. So, you need one of the lines that we hear all the time is you need good people to, to do these kind of things. And, and Richie's a good person. So I, I'm excited to see it. Yeah. Colin, that's a, all well said, but Colin brings up an interesting point. Will Richie become part of that leadership group? I would, I would be surprised if he doesn't quite yeah, frankly, we know how important he is to that dressing room and how important of a player he is to Toronto FC. So now as you know, James kind of touched on what, what Oza was saying about, Richie's future being locked up here in Toronto for you know the next three four years at least, um, it would it wouldn't shock me at all to see him included as part of that leadership group. And even if he you know isn't included as that leadership group, you sure as hell can bet he will he will play just as important a role as every one of those leaders. Um, yeah, you know, such a such an unbelievable get for TFC. You know, Gracia is saying our previews go out the window. Right after that signing's done, we record our preview Thursday night news drops Friday morning. And, you know, one of the things I was saying about TFC playing with wingbacks and not really addressing kind of their attacking needs, um, and they didn't really have the, the wingbacks on their roster to necessarily do as much as they would have wanted out of wingbacks in a 3-4-3 formation, specifically in the attacking third, um, with Richie Larea, that changes, right? He's yeah. he's a guy who, you know, at times, especially in this system, there were instances where he was, him and Lorenzo were kind of interchanging where he would jump up and play more of as, you know, I guess a, an attacking midfielder or, or an outside wing um, more naturally up front. And he gives you the options of making some of those runs in behind that maybe Lorenzo at this point in his career can't necessarily do so the fact that they have that relationship down the left hand side and interchanging that it does give tfc a bit more of a different look also of course rich's ability to drive at defenders beat it beat defenders 1v1 we saw that you know multiple times so that's such a, a such a valuable trait that they acquired and you know as james already touched on i just want to highlight it once more we, we talked about it with Davey Flores about setting the tone for this team. I mean, Richie Larea sets the tone for Toronto FC every single time he takes the pitch. You guys said a minute and a half for him to go down and draw a penalty or a potential penalty. 
it was like 30 seconds for him to be screaming or getting in the face of an opponent even quicker the way that we know Richie Laurier does. And, you know, if John Herman's talked about it, that's something this team was missing so much last year is just kind of that passion. So you had Davy Flores and, and Richie Laurier, and then all of a sudden you got a more engaged Jonathan Osorio, potentially the Italians bought in. And then you have, you know, long at the back O'Neill and, and Ralph Petretta. Those are, those people are, are all guys who are gamers and competitors and, people who can really kind of set that tone and that tough mental toughness for TFC. So, yeah, I think that's a, that's such an important get. Yeah. And, and, and let's talk a little bit about Lorenzo. Cause I think, you know, it feels like we, we talked about all these great performances and yet the star man in theory kind of had, a, I don't know if a quiet game's the right word. I mean, he did get one on frame. Uh, you know, he did have opportunities uh, Prince Willis, who did a great job saving one of his shots, he would have been offside anyway, probably. But, um, you know, again, a, a, a player that looked bought in this time, right? Like, in a sense that, you know, he was willing to go into some places that maybe he wouldn't have been willing to go on the pitch last year and in previous years. Um, and yes, of course, they're managing his minutes. He only played 60 in this game, TFC fans kind of get used to that. I think we're going to start seeing Lorenzo not playing 90 minutes week in, week out um, from that perspective. But maybe give your thoughts, uh, guys, on Lorenzo um, and and sort of what this might sort of look like with him going forward uh, in terms of sort of his minutes and how he's going to fit into this uh, 11. Yeah, I think, you know, if that if that early free kick goes in or if, if that later shot doesn't hit Prince, then we're talking about, you know, Lorenzo scoring a goal on his debut in this new look TFC having their guy scoring the goal. So, you know, those little inches of whether it's the goalkeeper keeping that ball out or, you know, Prince being on the ground and your shot hitting them, those are those are the things that sort of come and go with games. What what I wanted to see from him was was being bought in to what it's going to take to to find success in MLS. You know, MLS is a it's a tough league to come over and and play your football especially as as you're getting older and you have to sort of reinvent the way that you do things and you can't always rely that every rely on the fact that every teammate is going to have the same football like you and the same technical ability to put that ball exactly where you want it. And, I think what we saw a lot in the struggles last year was was Lorenzo being a bit of a man on an island when it when it came to the rest of the team and him him both trying to do things a little bit too much by himself that goes for Fede as well by the way but also not having the pieces around him that you need as a player to to have those little one twos or to drag a little bit of pressure off you or to open up a little bit of space and you know we saw that we saw that expressed in a lot of a lot of those gestures and a lot of the hand motions and a lot of the the sort of frustrations that came out over the course of a long year and you know again it was only 90 minutes so we'll sort of see what it looks like when the game's going against you but i thought i saw a guy who who was doing all of the things that that he needed to do and that had more of the pieces around him that are going to allow him to find those little spaces to to be more of the player that we know he can be and you know, I think, you know, load management is a little bit of a, a a hectic word in the sports world these days. And, you know, when when fans buy their tickets and they want to see the guy play, you have to respect that. But at the same time, as a team, I'd rather have 60 minutes of Lorenzo at his best than 
a couple of weeks at him at his best and then him at 60% for a month and then maybe another couple of weeks where he's at his best. So, you know, Jones got a, a good sports science department. They brought in somebody in particular to work with, to work with Lorenzo and making sure that he's in top shape. And that's also where you get those valuable minutes for those fringe guys that are not going to be part of those starting 11. So I'm, I'm entirely comfortable with it. I think what you want to see though is making those 60 minutes count a little bit more. If he goes off at the hour mark, and you're up one nothing, or you're up two nothing, then then that's a little bit more comfortable for people than than seeing your your superstar go off when the game's tied at zeros. Yeah, yeah, it's gonna be interesting to see how how John Herman does does I guess load manage Lorenzo this season. We touched on kind of his injuries that he was kind of battling with throughout you know, last season, even heading into this off season on, on the last episode of this podcast, there is some level of concern there when it comes to his overall health. I think John Herman said after the match that uh, he was going to ensure that, you know, Lorenzo was ready for home games because home games are, you know, what make or break you in this league. Right. And also, yeah, sure. There's that home crowd factor as well. Fans who buy tickets definitely want to see for, especially this team, definitely want to see a guy like Lorenzo Insigne suit up. Uh, so, you know, they got a, a road match coming up in a couple of days on turf, you know, the, this weekend. I think it's going to be another instance where we definitely see Lorenzo Insigne's minutes monitored even heavily, even more heavily because it's they're on turf. Um, yeah, in terms of his performance overall and, you know, what I saw, similar things to, to Grassi there was, you know, body language, all of that that we saw over and over again last year of him, you know, being visually frustrated with with his teammates you know, there was less and less of that, uh, which I think is, you know, it, it does go a long way. It does go a long way when you are not performing at the level in which you are able to to kind of do that. You know, Seba could get away with that because Seba was the most valuable player in Major League Soccer and Toronto FC was winning. And, you know, times maybe it rubs some people the wrong way. But at the end of the day, you know, Seba goes out there and kind of leads by example. Lorenzo's got to kind of do more of that if he wants to, you know, demand more from his teammates. So it starts with him. So I think he kind of, you know, from first showing, uh, we'll, we saw a positive sign, a step in the right direction. Again, we'll see what happens when things go wrong. You know, what exactly will that look like? Because things are, are eventually going to go wrong. You know, it's the natural course of the season. But, uh, but yeah, we'll see. Now, um, I think one thing overall, just worth mentioning, this formation that John Herman has Toronto FC playing in, it gets the best out of some of their players that, uh, you know, maybe they weren't in the most optimal positions last season. So, you know, in, in Bob Bradley's 4-3-3, for example, Lorenzo Insigne often found himself isolated on the left wing, right? Lorenzo Insigne is not the same player where he can beat two, three, four players and, you know, curl one far post like he, he used to do when he was in his prime. He's at this point in his career, he's lost a step. So where where's Lorenzo Insigne at his best? It's almost when he's dropping deep and connecting with his teammates, when he can get closer with to his teammates at, at least. You know, ideally you like to have that a little bit higher up the pitch than maybe, you know, we saw some instances of against Cincinnati. But like I said, his ability to kind of interchange there with Richie Loria, potentially Bernadeschi when he plays on the left-hand side there um, and connect with his teammates a little bit deeper, I think that's kind of how you find the best version of, of Insigne. Same thing with Jonathan Osorio on on the other side. You know, Ozo's a guy who, you know, I think a little bit earlier in his career, he could have really settled in as as a six. We saw instances and flashes of it of it in a double pivot. Um, but 
again, I think he's at his best when he's a little bit higher up the pitch. So I think in that position specifically for, for Ozo and, and John Herman, I think they found a, a good, uh, a good fit there. So yeah, just a, a couple of things that I saw out of the, the 11 in general. And I think, you know, for Insigne, I think he's going to, John Herman's doing a good job at least with trying to get the best out of him. Absolutely. And, um, before we we sort of go into our sort of our one good thing one bad thing one improvement piece um shout out to sean johnson 100th career clean sheet in major league soccer in many ways probably saved the point for toronto fc with some really key saves especially in the second half um you know as they as the substitutions came in and cincinnati look cincinnati's still a good football club right this is the the reigning supporter shield winners um, they were always going to get back to the game and sort of get their foot on the ball and create things. But, you know, having Sean Johnson uh, back there still helps. Uh, and obviously he made some, again, some really big saves uh, to, to keep the team in it and obviously preserve the point in the end. Um, so, gentlemen, what I'd like to do here is uh, go through this game and think back and think of sort of one good thing, one bad thing and one improvement for next week against new england um so we'll start off with the positives because this is a positive vibe show we already talked about it at the beginning um so um for me it was just i noticed especially in the first half this became a little bit less in the second half obviously as again they were probably sitting a little bit more to preserve the point but just the cohesive press that we saw from the team especially again in those first 30 sort of 40 minutes of the game um I mean, again, we're sort of working from a low bar, but at the same time, um, the just the the fact that not just that they were pressing, but it wasn't like one guy pressing and everybody else kind of not doing anything or not really stepping at the right time. It felt like the trigger happened, the press came, and they were able to wing the ball back in really good positions um, and give themselves opportunities. So that was really something that caught my eye that I really liked about um, this performance. And if they can, again, continue that on, uh, to future performances, I think it could bode well um, in terms of just being able to, again, be a competent football club um, during matches. Um, James, you are our guest, so I'm going to give you the, the next spot in terms of just one good thing that uh, that you're going to take away from the match overall. I mean, that first 15 minutes, that first 20 minutes, and but not just not just that opening start, but the way that they closed the first half, the way that they started the second half, the way that they closed the second half. Like, those are those those key five, ten minutes of each half. You often see them decide games. How many times in the past couple of years has TFC been down one nothing inside the first ten minutes? Or how many times have we seen those late goals find a way in? And so for this team to to not only find the level that they needed to in this first game to go into Cincinnati and cause the defending supporter shield champions the trouble that they did, but to know that that we have to ramp it up for this close of this half, to know that we have to come out with, of, for the second half with that same energy. Like that's the, um, that's one of those things that, that you sort of have to be cognizant of as a team is that we're, we're, we're going to have ups and downs throughout the, the passage of a half a play, but we need to be extra sharp in these couple of moments. And I thought TFC navigated, you know, those really dangerous periods pretty well in this first game. Yeah, yeah, no, uh, like game management again. There are times last, last couple of seasons where TFC have kind of let themselves down for in a lot of different instances, and for the most part, you know they didn't do that. You know 
Sean Johnson was there when when they did and made some really important saves for this team. You know, for me, obviously, the easy answer is Davey Flores. Um, you know, something that I'd, I liked if TFC are going to be successful, uh, he's going to have to be successful and be a really important piece of this team. But, you know, beyond that, I did, for the most part, like um, John Herman's decision to go to Jaquil Marshall-Ruddy uh, when Insigne was taken out. Um, you know, I was a little bit, I don't know if concern is the right word, but maybe concerned for Jaquil uh, when Richie Larea's, you know, acquisition was announced and he was returning to Toronto FC because we know about, you know, kind of all the hype that Jaquil had heading into this preseason. And we've kind of saw a similar instance, you know, in 2022, I believe it was when Jaquil had a really positive start to the season. And then of course, unfortunately he suffers that knee injury. By the time he recovers, Richie Lorea, funny enough, uh, gets signed on loan from Nottingham Forest, returns to the club. And from that point on minutes for Jaquil is really hard to find. So for, for John Herman to kind of entrust Jaquil as being, I don't know if he was the first substitute, but he was definitely an important substitute uh, for TFC down that left-hand side. We saw him driving at some defenders. Uh, the end product still, you know, left to be desired, but he gets in a rhythm. He gets reps and you know, I, th- I think this could be, you know, a, an important year for Jaquil and a, and a big year for Jaquil if, you know, it continues to kind of make the right stride. So that was a positive, I think, from from John Herman in terms of, turning to some of his youngsters on the bench during an important part of the match, trusting his youngsters and for them to be able to see out the result. I thought that was important. And on. Okay. Um, Mr. Singh, I'm coming back to you to start mm-hmm. off the one bad. Um, what's over the one thing that kind of gave you a little bit of pause for concern? I hate to say it, but it's Iowa Canola. It was, um, yeah, he had 14 touches, lost possession seven times uh, in the match. So all the things that you wanted to see out of Iowa Canola wasn't there. Uh, now, granted, you know, it's he's only playing professional minutes again in a competitive match for really the first time in, in, in months for Iowa because when he went to San Jose, he barely got minutes. So he's got to, you know, take some time to refine the pace and refine all of that, but... It really, for me, there wasn't there wasn't much positive takeaway. Unfortunately, with Iowa's performance, there isn't something I can point to. I'm like, okay, you know, he did that well. Um, I didn't really see too much of that. So, yeah, for me, uh, I was I was the biggest disappointment. Uh, yeah, I'll, I'll I'll go with just depth in general. Um, it did it gave me the uh, Iowa was sort of the thought behind it, but. I, you did see a noticeable drop off when some of the subs started to come in. Um, that is, I guess, to be somewhat expected. Um, that said, um, you know, it was it was good to see Kosi and Kobe come on and Jaquiel come on and be able to do the job to hold the point. I think that was important for their confidence and obviously um, in their development. But I still there are some questions around depth um, in some positions, and and that is one thing. You know, if you're trying to change a game. Or trying to, you know, in this case, you're trying to hold a, a result. So that's one thing. But, you know, in other games where you may be trying to chase a goal, um, you know, where is that quality really coming from on the bench? And can someone step into that role and really sort of take that as their own? That will be interesting to see. Um, so that's mine. Uh, James, one for you. Um, yeah, I think I think it's it's how on a knife's edge that attack is going to be those 
you mentioned it, Michael. I think the uh, the two giveaways that Davey had where Toronto had so many numbers pushed forward and just trying to force a ball into a lane where it wasn't going to go, and all of a sudden it's it's going back here other way, the other way. And you know, Tor- Toronto reacted well in both of those situations and managed to cover them. But on another day in a league where counterattacks have become a, a really big part of how teams look to exploit the opposition. Uh, that Toronto is going to push that many numbers forward and leave themselves leave themselves a little bit exposed at the back is something that it wasn't necessarily bad itself on the day, but you know, on another day, one or two of those goes in and, and we're not having such a positive show today. So I mean that and and then just the sheer number of set pieces that they gave up against Cincinnati, that's it's uh it's cliche, but you know set pieces are such an important part of the game, and if you're going to be giving up ten corners and a handful of free kicks from decent positions every game, soon enough it's gonna it's gonna come back to bite you. Yeah, um, that's funny enough. My improvement, um, but more in in the realm of trying to reduce turnovers in costly areas, um, because as you said, James, those turnovers. And all of a sudden, you're sprinting back, and you know we you mentioned it, Michael, with Raul Petretta being a little bit more mobile back there. But you do have two center backs that aren't as mobile. Um, so from that perspective, you you definitely want to be sure that you're taking care of the ball if you are going to push those numbers forward and, and try to look for a goal. Um, so that would be my one improvement. James, how about yourself? Uh, goals. You know, it'd be nice. It'd be nice <laughs> to score some goals. Uh, <laughs> You know, everyone always says, uh, you know, defense wins championships and everyone loves a clean sheet. But uh, this is a team that that needs to find a way to, to put the ball in the back of the net, whether it's whether it's something beautiful and well-crafted like that Lorenzo goal that that Prince ended up blocking would have been, or whether it's just we're peppering shots on net and you get a deflection and it's the ugliest goal in the history of football. This is a team that that needs to find a way to turn those momentary advantages that they create into real dangerous situations. So give me some goals. Yeah, yeah, you're right. Like that's the difference between, you know, someone sitting in the playoffs at the end of the season versus someone on the outside looking in. I mean, I think it's fair to say that, you know, despite the, you know, expectations heading into this game, despite the jug on of the opponent that Toronto FC faced, that game was very much in the balance for Toronto FC. And had they been a little bit more clinical in some of their chances in front of the goal, we're talking about, you know, three points away to the defending supporter sealed champions as opposed to a well-earned draw. So yeah, that's uh that's such a big difference. Something we've we've talked about now for a couple seasons with this team is is creating those goal scoring opportunities a little bit more so yeah it'll be interesting to see how that plays out um for me uh, kind of on that similar note in terms of something i'd like to see improve but i do have i do still buy his stock i am buying stock in prince owosu um okay so for me while wasn't dangerous enough, wasn't as involved as I'd like him to see, just 14 touches, I believe, throughout the entire course of the match. So on the ball, not very much. Um, there was, there's, there's a ton of really good starting points. So for one, when he did touch the ball, his touches were quality, right? For someone that size, he's got he's had a great first touch and he's got kind of an ability to kind of play in tight uh, more so than really a lot of strikers we've seen for Toronto FC in the past. So someone his size willing to do that. And then it's some of the stuff he kind of does that doesn't really get heralded where it's his, you know, his, his relentlessness, his willingness to press, his willingness to kind of make things tough on his opponents. 
Um, that stuff he does really well. I mean, this guy is fast and he's big and he's not afraid to kind of get his body stuck in. And that's kind of the striker that you need, that type of profile that you need playing with an Insigne and a Bernadeschi because, you know, they're not going to be the ones that are necessarily pressing really high or starting that press. Um, they're going to be guys who kind of slot in a little bit behind or casually, you know, go jog out to their opponent. Um, but with with Owosu, he, he does do that. So I do, I do feel it's a tough position to play in uh, with Insigne and Bernadeschi there. Uh, I just... For whatever reason, I hadn't, you know, we've spoken to some strikers that played between them in the past, and they kind of allude to this where it is, you know, the style that they play as a number nine, you're not always, you know, their first option, let's say, right? So, obviously, you know, find himself in good positions. He doesn't get the first ball, then he's like, kind of, what do I do? So, he's got to either, you know, either something has to change there where either he's got to start making the runs that they're looking for or they need to maybe see him a little bit earlier and kind of see the runs that he's trying to make. There's got to be some kind of, you know, balance there because I think this is a guy that, that, you know, like I said, just has a lot of good starting points. Fair enough. Okay. Um, Normally for the TTID match man of the match day, it'd be a vote between myself, Mr. Singh and Mr. Nesker, but I don't think we need to vote this week. The amount of comments uh, that we got about it and your both of your comments, I think, make it clear. Davy Flores is the TTID man of the match day. We said it all, um, you know, and, and, and somebody who who made a very good impression on his debut. So congratulations to Davy. We have no bottle of champagne to give you or no little <laughs> little plaque to give you, but maybe we'll we'll work on that, Davy. Don't worry. Um, one thing I wanted to end off in terms of this segment before we just talk really quickly about the new faces. Um, Mike, I don't know. I think it's queued up, but I just wanted to clip John Herdman's comment um, from his uh, post-game press conference uh, yesterday speaking about sort of the huddle and the unity that he's trying to bring. I know it's something we talk about a lot. I know it's something, it's something he talks about all the time. Um, but I wanted to just sort of highlight this because it's something that's interesting um, that we haven't really seen before uh, at TFC. Um, so, Mike, if you can uh, throw that on. Yeah, let's uh, let's roll the uh, little bit that Jeff has here to kind of get lead us into this segment. <laughs> We're going to try and do this every week about yeah. John Herman and kind of his wise words. So. Of can I week. see that paper for a sec? Huh, that's odd. What are you talking about? Oh, have you not heard? Heard what? <laughs> heard, 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 heard the word. <laughs> heard, 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 heard the word. Don't you know about the herd? <laughs> Anything can happen in football these days. <laughs> so here is here's John Herman. Here's what he had to say after uh, yesterday's match. Post-game huddle. Uh, we were seeing that on the broadcast, and it seemed like that was... Uh, an important moment for this group, mindful of especially, we'll say, the the narratives that have lingered around this club for a bit and the projects you're steering to hopefully put those in the past. Yeah, it was a, an important moment. You know, it was Sean Johnson's 100th clean sheet. I think that's a really special occasion uh, for any player. It was a moment where we got our first point in that stadium against... Uh, a very, very good team. I mean, this team's been, you know, killing it in MLS last season. Uh, so we knew it was going to be tough coming here as a home opener, the energy of their fans. But, you know, more importantly, Lorenzo spoke and it's just it's just the start. It's the right step forward. And as he said, 
you know, we're fighting together now. And, you know, whether it's Jaquiel Marshall Ruddy, a 19-year-old coming off the bench, or Kobe Franklin, you know, young players, Corsi Thompson, to solidify the game, you know, those players can be trusted because there's a there's a connection here. They know that these veteran players have got their backs and we're going to get through this season together. So, I mean, all in all, that huddle was just a symbol of the first step. Yeah, so John Herdman talking about the post-game huddle, um, which was very indicative and, and very, and if you saw it, you know, it was on the broadcast, very much brought Canadian men's national team, the women's national team vibes uh, to those who who know. Um, an interesting one, because I think, look, there is sort of an outward sort of perception. They want people to understand that they are together. They want to sort of quash this narrative not really a narrative if it actually happened um, last season. But, um, you know, look, I think one thing that we are seeing is that this team is starting to come together. What exactly that will look like over 35 or 34 more games um, will be interesting. But at least right now, you know, this is probably the most cohesive we've probably seen the team in maybe two seasons. Would you gentlemen agree? Yeah. Yeah, I think, um, you know, we uh, we were all a little bit surprised when John came on board and then spent those first couple of months doing his observational stuff and, and not really being as involved in the day-to-day as as we thought. And, you know, we don't know all of the details at this point, but it's something that we're definitely sort of keeping an eye on is is the work that they did in, in that background over this time to bring to bring the group together and you know, I'm sure those must have been some hard conversations amongst the, amongst the coach and the players, amongst the players and each other, and then amongst the the group in that leadership group who who made it a point to be in touch throughout that whole off season. And you know, it's one thing to to be in a huddle on the field together and and to have that outward show of it. It's another for Lorenzo to be the guy talking, putting those words out there about you know, this is a step in the right direction and all that sort of stuff. Um, but I think, I think, uh, you know, so the, the, the huddle element of it to me is less important than the fact that we saw that in the 90 minutes, you know? Mm-hmm. Um, so, yeah, I mean, it's, it's great to see. It's, it's always a, a, a good um, step in the right direction, I guess, when a team has those sort of shows of, of togetherness and stuff like that. But, for me, it was more important that, that they played that way in the first instance. And then uh, my other thought from that is just, I think one thing to keep an eye on through this year that, that John mentioned there is is this being their first point at, at TQL Stadium. One of the one of the little things that John does with his group is, is constantly be putting uh, new goals in front of the group and, and establishing those first, whether it's, your first win at Cincinnati at their new stadium, whether it's that first point, whether it's Sean Johnson's 100th. Uh, when you are putting in the work and the commitment that's being asked of these guys, yeah, you need to celebrate when you do achieve little things. And so getting those little firsts uh, along the way and, and recognizing them and having those moments as a group, those are, you know, the little things that, that helps everybody buy in and be a part of it. So, yeah, I mean, uh, I had the whole Croatian nightmare that I think everyone else did when, when we saw that huddle on the screen. But uh, I think it's a sign of a team that's that's turned a corner a little bit. 
Yeah, I, w- I would say, you know, 20, 25%. Maybe even that's a little high, but that that's tactics. The other 75% of it is, is exactly what, you know, you alluded to there, James. It's that that buy-in, that togetherness, that mentality um, that this team needed to rebuild and refine uh, this offseason. So the work that, you know, has gone on behind the scenes, we've caught glimpses of it in their, you know, all for one, you know, YouTube video that I think a lot of people enjoyed. If you didn't, um, I highly recommend checking it out because it is it is refreshing to see because, you know, what we've known and we've come used to is kind of a little bit more of a, a not so fun environment, I guess, let's call it. But, uh, you know, they they mentioned and John, John Herman's mentioned it a couple of times having Robin Gale there, you know, kind of behind the scenes and really working with this team's mentality uh is, is super important and that's like i said it's even more important than i think the tactics on the pitch so you know all good for now the the real the real test is going to come when this team does face some adversity you know how bought in are lorenzo insignia federico bernardeschi actually you know we great first 90 minutes looked good nil no draw came away with it guess what you know the first couple of games last season looked decent as well. And there were some positive takeaways from last season until, you know, TFC dropped some points at home and, you know, Federico Bernardeschi got frustrated and just started, decided to, you know, voice some of that frustration as well. So it doesn't, didn't take much last year. So do they have a bigger tolerance? Yeah, I, I hope so. Because, you know, during the off season, I think they also got a bit of a, maybe a rude awakening about their value as well. You know, maybe it's something that they take personally now where they realize that, you know, everything that's kind of gone on behind the scenes in Toronto, other clubs have taken note of as well. So maybe that was a bit of an ego check there as well with this with this duo. But uh, yeah, positive first signs, I guess, let's say. Hey, you know, they're bought in when they put their hands together and go one, two, three old guys. You know, they were they were totally (laughs) bought in at that point. (laughs) um all right guys um so before we wrap up the show um obviously a couple new faces into uh the into the team we talked about uh two of them at at length in richie larea and davy flores but um you know the the two center backs that also came in kevin long and nickerson gomez or at least i'm going to say nickerson gomez because i believe that's how john pronounced it so i will go with that um but with you know we haven't obviously seen gomez yet but from all accounts a solid preseason and a solid trial period um with the team he was one of the trialists um but kevin long um in inserted immediately into the back three and look look as advertised solid not spectacular but solid right and i think that may that that's something that this team desperately sort of needed at the back um and also didn't look phased once cincinnati really started to kind of throw the sink at tfc uh late in that second half um just your guys's impression on kevin long and his sort of debut at tfc yeah i mean that does what it says on the tin like i i think that's sort of what uh what you expect when you bring in a, a veteran center back with the kind of pedigree that he has. And yeah, he was unflappable. He was strong in the air. He was solid on the ground. He, he did everything. And yeah, when things started to get a little bit tense, he, he knew how to manage those final moments of the game and he knew how to, how to organize the people around him. And, you know, one of the big questions for the side coming into the year was, was who was going to be playing in those center back positions. So to bring a guy who's, who's going to be that real central leader and that that key voice in the middle for you 
especially if you're playing a back three like you know John was intending to do was uh was good to see you know he's 33 so that comes with some some risks some challenges is he how is he going to adjust to uh to traveling around North America and he he told us when we spoke to him on Friday that you know he had a couple of former teammates in Scott Arfield and Ashley Westwood in Charlotte who he had spoken to a little bit and you know he was aware of the travel situation the fact that he would have to play on turf was a bit of a surprise to him when we talked about it. He was saying he hasn't played on turf since he was like 10. So that might take a little bit of adjusting, but you know, it's a, the MLS season is, is a long and challenging one. Like we call it, we call it the midsummer slog for a reason. And so we, we will, uh, we will see how he, how he stands up in, in the summer heat of Dallas and, and Houston and, and every, all of the other varied climates that TFC is going to have to go to. But you know, for day one, he was exactly what they said he would be, which was just a, a calm, collected, assured veteran center back and, and the team leader, one of those for sure. Yeah, that that's exactly it. You know, I've seen I've seen this exact same type of player a hundred times. Like it's it's <laughs> nothing special that, you know, stands out in particular. It's just he's he's very solid at what he does and you know exactly what you're going to get. I mean, he is he's the Stephen Vittoria of Toronto FC is exactly what he is. He's a guy who can play in that middle, can be a leader. Um, you know, he's not going to be, not be a difference maker moving forward. He's not going to be a liability for you at all defensively. In fact, he'll, you know, especially on Sunday, he'll be a plus for you. And I really saw, thought we saw him start to take the game um, over a little bit more in that second half defensively for Toronto FC. You know, first half, he was a bit quiet, which was, you know, not a bad thing because, you know, you're in that position. Uh, especially with the first half TFC had, it's not necessarily a bad thing to have a quiet half, but second half, he was the guy who was stepping out to the ball. He was the guy who was kind of setting that tone and, you know, kind of letting his teammates know a little bit that you can't be giving them that space, his, their opponents that space. So even off some corners, I saw he was, again, first two stepping. Um, so I liked a lot of what I saw out of him. Again, he's just going to be a guy who's who's not very glorious and, and there's not going to mean much to talk about with with him, but that's exactly the type of player that TFC needed. And thank God Toronto FC got him in before that first match because I don't know if they have another player on their roster right now that could really slot in and play that central, the you know, center back role that TFC need. Like maybe a Shane O'Neill, but again, that's that's a big ask. Yeah, absolutely. And look, we haven't seen Gomez yet. Um, James, I don't know if you got any indication from the staff about how he was at trial, but clearly good enough to earn a contract. Um, I guess you can look at it that way. I think if I if I piece things together, I think he was the trialist who appeared in the most matches, just judging on sort of some of the sleuthing that I saw going on from the pictures, everyone trying to figure out what was going on and and knowing uh, how many trialists were appearing in each game. I think Long came, came out of nowhere. I don't think he was involved in preseason at all. So... Mm-hmm. You know, Gomis is a guy that that has been with the group for a good a good amount of time, and he's a guy that they had a good look at as part of that back three. I don't think he's necessarily seen to be the central player either. I think he's going to be one of those wider center backs, um, and that that in and of itself is is good because if you are going to ask a thirty three year old to play thirty four games for you this season, you're going to want to have some legs either side of him and. Getting another guy who's been brought up in in the English football system, where 
you know, they know how to prepare center backs to do those jobs that you require of your center backs and know how to be a seven out of 10 and eight out of 10 every week. So yeah, I have, uh, I have no additional information for you on, on anything other than, uh, Apparently the, the head injury that had him miss this weekend was uh, he took a, a shot from close range in the face in that game against LAFC and had to get subbed out pretty early. So it was just precautionary kind of thing. So we'll have to wait until uh, Saturday at 5 p.m. when we get the new MLS injury report to find out uh, if we're going to see him in his first match next weekend. Right. Great feature, by the way. Great feature, Major League Soccer, publishing that. Um yeah, like I think a lot of people in the chat have already said it. He's left-footed. Um, I think there are times he might have played even you know as a left back in the past. Um, so I do wonder if he's going to be competing with a guy like Raul Petretta for some minutes there. Again, just 21 years old, you know, pretty decent ped- pedigree. This guy's a French youth international. So the last time Toronto FC signed a French youth international center back. Um, I think that, that worked out pretty decently in Chris Mavinga, I believe it was. Yeah, and they um, want to sign him back now because he got waived by the Valley Galaxy. <laughs> I believe he was a French youth international. He was, I'm, he I'm was. Yeah, he was. Um, so it worked out pretty well there. So it'll be interesting to see kind of like the player that he is, uh, exactly what kind of role he plays for this team. Does he a starter right away? Is there a way that, you know, maybe he can play the right-sided center back position if – you know, TFC don't want to go with O'Neill every single match. You know, it's it's a it's an interesting signing, but I, I like the the profile of it. You know, 21 years old guy. You know, former English Premier League club uh, came through that academy, came through the ranks. Like I said, French youth international, so checks a lot of boxes in terms of pedigree and potential, and and, and at the right age, something TFC kind of lack. I mean, do you know how old the average age of their starting eleven was uh, over the weekend? Any exact guesses? Number, but it was it was not exactly the youngest. The I'm youngest say like twenty nine and a half or something like that. You're um, almost bang on twenty nine point nine. Yeah, it was the average age versus Cincinnati, who was twenty five point something. So, uh, yeah, not exactly the youngest or twenty six point six with Cincinnati. So, not exactly the youngest group Toronto C kind of floated out there, but. Um, if Gomez can make that, he'll, he'll definitely knock that number down a couple. <laughs> well, look, I mean, this team is very kind of like it's one or the other. Like it's very much an on the older side or everybody else that comes in is kind of really on the young side, right? So there is very much, there isn't a lot in the middle, really. It's Brandon's kind of Brandon Zervania. Uh, it's kind of the, the player in the middle um, in terms of age. And I mean, the, we'll figure out what they do with Luke Singh. He's another left-footed center back um, that's on the roster and, you know, I don't know if it's another loan or what the deal is, but um, we'll find out soon enough. Um, well, let's wrap it up here, gentlemen. Just uh, a, a note for next week, obviously, Sunday, March 3rd, 2 p.m. Eastern against New England at New England. Um, I watched New England play D.C. United on uh, on Saturday. Um, and, and look, it, they had a man sent off, so no Giacomo Veroni. We don't have to worry about him. Uh, on the weekend. Yeah, he was sent off really early in that game. But even then, DC United pretty much had the run of the game, um, except Carlos Hill probably scored the goal of the week, um, which is, it was incredible curler to the top corner. If you haven't seen it, um, check out the socials. But 
Just really quick thoughts on just New England. I mean, obviously, look, it's one game and they didn't look exactly great. But I mean, this is still a team that's in uh, Champions Cup, um, you know, a playoff team last season. And of course, like, like I mentioned, still got Carlos Gil, you know, still got some pieces that are going to that could cause issues, even if they don't have uh, Veroni up top. The return of Mark Anthony K. Yeah. First time that we're we're seeing Mark Anthony K since uh since he was traded to New England and you know we know we know kind of the the scatter report on him. Don't give Mark Anthony K time in possession. Don't give him time on the ball, right? If he has time on the ball, he's he's capable of picking a pass. But if you you apply pressure, you know he's prone to some giveaways as well. So if he's a guy that you know New England decide to to factor into their eleven and and play through uh tfc know that very well so there's that um it's also another team where you're gonna have to take away their best player you mentioned it already mike carlos heel is obviously their guy scored a galasso as you said what a curler um but tfc can take away carlos heel i think they'll stand a pretty good chance of competing against this new england revolution team so you go from lucho acosta to carlos heel we already know the job that davy flores and but perhaps once again, Shane O'Neill, you know, Richie Larea a little bit as well can do when shutting down an opposition. So it'll be interesting to see just how much that game plan changes for a player like Hill versus a guy like Lucho, who, you know, decently similar players. Well, I mean, going to Gillette Stadium is never easy. You know, TFC's yep. history down in New England is, is terrible. I remember that Matias Lava game. Is one of the few bright spots in the in the history of TFC going down. Shining Jets moment of Matias Labo, <laughs> and so you go from from one of the nicer, newer soccer specific stadiums where you have a lush field to uh, you know a tennis court effectively, and so how that plays into how John changes things, how the the bounciness of a ball on that turf plays with Toronto's desire to move that ball kind of quickly will. We'll have to keep an eye on that. But uh, I think your point of you go from a game where your job was to shut down Acosta to new, now a game where your job is to shut down Heal, you so you maybe find a little bit of joy in that. But I think New England will be uh, will be pretty eager to, to make up for that rough start they had against D.C. And they've got a couple of young guys at Noel Buck and Esmir Bajrak Tarevich, I think he yeah. is, that uh, – yeah. We're going to see some minutes this year for the Revs. So, uh, yeah, dangerous game. Going to Gillette is is never fun. Going in March is even worse than midsummer. So, uh, I don't have high hopes for this one, but uh, you know, another nil-nil draw wouldn't be the worst thing in the world. Is Andrew Farrell still starting as center back? He though? is on the team, but not starting. No, he's okay. on the bench. I was going to say, if he was, time to cook for Richie. But if not... <laughs> oh. um, yeah, it'll it'll be interesting to see how the matchup on turf. Let's see, uh, let's see what minutes you know Lorenzo plays. Let's see what Richie can give them once again. Prince of Osu came out a little bit early. Let's see what they can give them. You know, on turf, we'll see. You know, is is Long going to be there for the entire ninety minutes? Some question marks, I guess, heading into that one. And TFC's depth may also have to be tested. A hundred percent, a hundred percent. Well, uh, again, uh, a great show, uh, James. Thank you so much for being a part of it, for being the whole TTID ride. Um, we really appreciate it. And of course, your insight is always welcomed on the show. If you're not already, if you're watching the show, you're a TFC sicko. So you already know where to find James's work. But on TFC.ca, match reports, um, press conference, y- you know how to find his stuff. Um, thank you for tuning in to another Toronto Till I Die episode. New favorite ask from the listeners. Some of you know already. 
Um, but you know, we got with you kids and we opened up shop on Instagram. Um, so we're now on the gram. <laughs> Come hit us in the DMs. Actually, don't hit us in the DMs. That would be weird. Uh, but give us a follow. Um, it would mean the world to us. Uh, username on uh, on the gram is uh, TTID Show because Toronto Till I Die was already taken. Um, but you can also type in Toronto Till I Die in the search bar and you will find um, us there. Um, plus, if you haven't already do, done it, like, subscribe on YouTube. Um, and for the podcast listeners out there, uh, rate and review. Really do appreciate Please. that. Um, all right. Again, big thank you to James Grossi for, for joining us. Um, for Michael Singh, for James Grossi, I'm Mike Newell. We'll see you next week, y'all. Cheers. And wait, and wait, and baby, I'm TFC till I die.